welcome to the Circuit Clouts podcast, the official podcast of United League Baseball. Uh, I am Lance Mueller, and I am here with Charlie Qualls. Hello. Hello, Charlie. Mr. Glenn Reed. Hello, love. Hello, darling. And with us again is the commissioner, Timothy. Hello, Tim. How's everybody doing? Um, so we are on, this is our 16th podcast, believe it or not, to tell us more about what we're going to talk about tonight. Kamish, uh, I want you to uh, give us a lowdown on what we're going to cover tonight. Okay, so our topic today uh, in this episode will be the UL Hall of Fame. Uh, this is a, a timely topic since we have the Hall of Fame uh, voting just about to happen. Uh, it's also been on our list of, uh, of topics that we've been wanting to do for the podcast. So uh, so the way we're going to uh, notionally break this out into two parts, the first part, we will talk about um, who belongs in the hall, uh, what, what are the different benchmarks we should use, uh, which players should be considered. Uh, we'll look at the value of different things like the all-decade team, winning uh, World Series championships, uh, winning MVPs and Cy Youngs. Uh, and then we'll move on to the second half and we'll talk, each, each of the four of us will talk about... Um, one individual candidate who's on the ballot and basically, you know, applies to some of the insights or uh, points that came out of the first part of the discussion. So that's our notional outline and uh, we'll see what actually happens when the, when the rubber hits the road. <laughs> I would use, I would use insights advisedly, bro. Exactly. exactly. I'm making air quotes. I'm making air quotes. Out, out, insights, insights, outsights, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we would start with a, uh, a real general question and just flip it around to all four of us and have like a 30 second answer of who belongs in the hall of fame. Right. So that's like the meta, the kind of like the Uber question. And then uh, we can just go around and like, um, like, so maybe Charlie, do you want to start? Like, who do you think should be, what, what, which players should be in the hall of fame? If you had to summarize it and say a paragraph. Without using specifics, without like giving you my list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's it's tough. I mean, it's the it's the Hall of Fame, right? First of all, it's not the Hall of Great Statistics. So I wonder, like, how how much of it is how popular was this player locally and and nationally? You know, should that factor into it? Um, I think there should be something to that. I think we should look. A little closer at individual positions because as we've talked about there's a few positions that aren't, aren't represented at all i mean sh should we give a trophy to somebody even if they're not quite deserving but i don't know i just think um it's a good discussion all right uh glenn who who belongs in the hall of fame Dude, I'm super easy, right? So to me, it's like ah, there everybody comes in. I, I think you, I think you should have representation at different spots, or at least at least recognize that it it's not a level playing field, right? Like what makes a good left fielder is not what makes a good third base, is not what makes a good shortstop, is not what makes a good catcher. So you you should allow for that in your Hall of Fame analysis. So I would say consistently good at a position over time. That's probably my, and hopefully it contributes to winning. Good. Okay. Uh, Lance. Yeah. I mean, 
certainly in the history of voting for the Hall of Fame, I, I've always sort of taken it on um, uh, an individual sort of candidate by candidate basis, generally irregardless uh, or regardless, since irregardless is not an actual word, uh, regardless of uh, position, except for guys who were extraordinarily uh, great defensive players at their given position, and then I think there's definitely some weight to be given to that, particularly for those guys who may not have been the greatest offensive contributors to their team, because uh, obviously there are you know runs created on offense, and then there are runs saved on defense, and so I think there are, that that certainly needs to be taken into consideration. But generally, I look at it you know just based on each individual candidate by candidate basis, and and sort of just try to make a choice, uh, you know, based on contribution. And then I don't know about popularity like Charlie was talking about, but maybe contribution during their era or to their specific team during their time on that that team. Um, and then just try to make my votes based on that. Glenn and Charlie are spot on, like different – uh, different positions require maybe some different yardsticks or different benchmarks because uh, not all not all players are in the same role. Uh, and if a guy hits, say, 300 home runs and he's a left fielder, that's a lot different than, say, a shortstop hitting 300 home runs, right? Because obviously shortstop is a much more difficult position. Um, and there's probably a lot more uh, left, fielder, left fielders uh, uh, getting that number of, of of, uh, you know, home runs and hits are going to mostly accrue to more certain positions. So um, if you're going to have different yardsticks for different positions, let's talk a little bit about um, maybe Glenn could start with this. I know you have thoughts on middle infielders in particular. So um, so I think we've already, I think we're generally in agreement that you can't measure middle infielders by the same yardsticks as say corner outfielders or, or first baseman. Um, but if that's the case, then what, then what are the yardsticks? What benchmarks should you use when you're assessing say second baseman or shortstops? Glenn, you want to take that first? Well, yeah. Okay. So that's a good question, bro. So I think war, so the war statistic does account for, um, you know, uh, defensive contribution. So I think war is good, right? That at least gives you some kind of yardstick that allows you to make comparisons uh, across positions, right? If you account for for defensive war, um, and then you could use Gold Gloves, right? And we could also do things. We have access maybe to like you know a zone rating or maybe a run saved, maybe right. So there are some stats you can look at to quantify it. But like you just gave the example of like you know three thousand hits and five hundred homers, but it'd be easier to accumulate those stats if you could play a longer career and you're going to play a longer career. If you can be like static at first base or static in left field, but it's hard to have a super long career at a really demanding defensive position, right? Like you just don't see guys that, you know, it's hard, right? You just don't see guys that play like super long careers at a super high level at the defensive level you need to play shortstop or second base. Right. So for example, or catcher, for example, right? Like that's a brutal one. So, so that's why I think you do have to scale it a bit, right? So that's basically my argument for, for scaling your, um, you know, uh, you know, what do you call it? Your sort of entry uh, point for the hall. Hopefully that. Um, yeah, some guys bust in at 19 and some guys come in at 23, 24. That's, that could be 400, 500 hits right there. And, you know, it's like, why are we 
holding it against these guys because they started a little bit later. Yeah, and I, I think I think on the on the on the defense, that's in particular, um, at least in the UL, because we don't have access to like a baseball reference style uh, sabermetrics, right? Like, um, yeah, there's zone rating and and some of that, but only for the more recent years. Like, you don't have historical uh, zone rating data for the players in OTP. So um, at least, uh, you know, when we start this league in the OTP five or something like that, OTP 6.5, whatever it was. So really the only defensive stat, if you can even call it that, that you can go off of is, uh, is number of gold gloves one. So uh, to, to me, that puts the defensive players at a real disadvantage because if you don't win that, and there's only one gold glove per position per year, right? So you, Let's say a guy is the second best fielder at his position for his entire career, and he plays 15 years, but he doesn't win a single gold glove. That guy might not even show up on, it might not even end up being a candidate for the Hall, right? If he doesn't, unless he's a a mashing hitter, right? So um, I think that's that's one thing where the, the real defensive stars are kind of disadvantaged. Let's talk about different credentials. MVP, Cy Young, uh, which is like the top, top uh, of, of your profession, whether you're a batter or a hitter, all UL teams or, or say winning UL championships. How do each of those weigh into your assessments? Uh, well, sadly, I don't think that much at all at this point. I, it feels like <laughs> we're, you know, I mean, a little bit. But I mean, when we're, when we're voting, right, we're looking at, a list of guys, 10 or 12 guys or whatever it is, nine guys. And we're just kind of picking the best of those guys, or at least I am, and not really thinking about uh, individually, like who, who they were, what position they played, where they belong, you know? So I need to reassess in that, in that regard. Yeah. I think the one I'm, I'm again, as I said earlier, it's like, I'm looking at each player on an individual basis, sort of looking at their career contributions uh, on an individual individual basis, and then like uh, like a Cy Young award or an MVP or a home run title or things like that are sort of like icing on the on the much bigger cake. Um, they certainly have s- some weight, but I I certainly am not going to dismiss anybody for not having a bunch of those kinds of accolades for their career if they're. Uh, their their contribution uh, was you know was stellar in one way or another for their career. So, well, yeah, you look at like uh, real life Roger Maris who's in the Hall of Fame. It's like, well, should you know he did something pretty spectacular for the time, even for today he did something spectacular. So, I mean, is that something that should have been considered taken into account? And he played for some great teams too. So, I think yeah, yes, dude. Cool. Yeah, I mean, bro, I'm looking again. I, I'm easy. I'm looking for excuses to put guys in. So, like you said, MVP or whatever. That's more it's under the heading of peak value, right? Like you had a, some some awesome peak seasons. Like doesn't mean you were great for a long period of time, but you were really great just for a short period of time. Okay, I'm probably gonna say, dude, if you just crushed it for a while, I'll give you some love. Or or, but I'm also gonna give love to guys who were really good for an extended period. But maybe they never had the peak value, or somebody else like had the awesome peak season. That because there can only be one MVP, right? And in a fourteen-team league, I mean, there's going to be guys that are really good that mm-hmm. never 
again, they might never win the MVP or they might never even make it to an all-UL team. We're not very many all-UL teams because they're friggin' studs out there, right? But um, but if you're like really good for a long period of time, again, I think, you know, I'm going to give you some love. And at the end of the day, I don't know, what's that old, there's some saying or whatever. The whole point is you're supposed to win games. So if you play, um, and again, maybe they're in real life, the most iconic real life example is like a Phil Rizzuto, right? Like he wasn't really that great, right? But it's like he was the team captain for the like winningest team in history or whatever. And every friggin' year, basically, you made it to the World Series or won the World Series. So, so if you win a ton of games, you must be doing something right, right? So, I guess I just yeah. I'm putting everybody in. I'm giving tens across the board, bro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I I see the I I actually do look at that. I look at the all UL teams. I'm like, okay, if this guy, if 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 we're really kind of assessing like who was the best at their position, and a guy like we just mentioned, Ernie Banks. And he's been he's been recognized eight times as the best of his position. So to me, that tells me a lot, right? That tells me more than the individual statistics, right? Because the, the 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 statistics are, are going to fluctuate over time, right? Is it is it a slugging era? Is it a is it a small ball era? Whatever. But if a guy is uh, selected as the best at that position that many times, you know, eight, seven, eight, nine different times then that tells me, okay, that's probably like a slam dunk case then, regardless of the stats, right? doesn't matter if he has 1,500 hit or 3,000 hits or whatever. Um, so that's that's one thing I look at. Um, another thing that I just, uh, obviously our listeners can't see this, I just called up on the screen, the um, there's a thing we have called the all-decade team. So after every 10 years of the United League, there is a special uh uh, kind of award that goes out to the all-decade team. There's also a batter of the decade and the pitcher of the decade. Um, so, and what's interesting is, I mean, you would think in real life that if there was an all-decade team, that almost all that all those guys would be Hall of Famers. Um, that's not actually the case in the UL. I mean, even in the 51 to 1951 and 1960, the first all-decade team, there are one, two, three, four five, six guys, basically half of that team, because um, there's three starting pitchers and one relief pitcher, um, only six of those 12 uh, are in the hall. And the others, like Willie Puddinghead Jones at third base, Jackie Robinson, who had a kind of a short career. Um, and then you've got Stu Miller, Carl Erskine, Hoyt Wilhelm. Um, arguably, some of these guys were like really, really good for like a short number of years, or, or maybe they were just Maybe they were just screwed, or like maybe maybe their candidates should be reassessed or something. Um, if you're looking at 1961 and 1970, there's a couple of guys. Cepeda, who's on the ballot now, he's a shoe in. Joe Torre's a shoe in. Um, think about that. Joe Torre, the guy's still playing. Guy was in the World. I guess he wasn't in this World Series, but he was on a championship team this season, 1979, and he was on the All Decade team from the previous decade, right? So that's yeah, uh, that's a little insane. Um, but um, he might be on this year again for what first base, maybe or third base. Do you think he might be in the next, the new decade, the new all decade? Yeah, exactly. Oh right, yeah. you're right. He might, <laughs> He's he going might, for three. Yeah. yeah, you're right. He might be on the all decade um, for for two decades, two decades in a row. Yeah, which would be insane. Um, um, so okay, I mean, this I guess this is a bit of a follow up, but and and. Uh, I mean, Charlie's already answered it, saying he doesn't. Char, I mean, Charlie, you're basically saying you're just looking at the, you're looking yeah. at their, their regular season achievements, 
and kind of like looking at just the raw numbers? Uh, I mean, essentially, I, I think where I fall short is I'm, I'm just I'm comparing the guys on the list to each other as opposed to right. overall uh, achievements and their overall uh, contributions to the Got league it. and to the so, I mean, I do like, I do look at MVPs and Cy Youngs and even gold gloves, but uh, overall, I think it's, yeah, the numbers, it's the, uh, but I, I said, I need to reassess that. Okay. Uh, well, with that, I think we'll, we'll roll into, uh, unless someone has some final thoughts here on like Hall of Fame benchmarks or yardsticks or what you look at. Um, uh, any any thoughts on uh, on uh, speed on the ability to create runs by being able to steal bases and do that? Is there is there is there is there a way that that ability could get somebody into the Hall of Fame? And I guess you know right now, like we have Lou Brock on the ballot. He's been on the mm -hmm. ballot for a little while, right? And uh, this will be his third ballot, so he's still yeah. fairly new. No, yeah. it's his second ballot. Second ballot. Last year, he got fifty-eight percent. Fifty-eight percent of the votes. Fifty-eight uh, percent of voting. Um, and he right. is our, our all-time uh, stolen base leader for the UL. That's correct, right? Yeah. yeah. By by a large margin, I think. Um, is that ability? Would that ability get him into the Hall of Fame? Into our Hall of Fame, the UL Hall of Fame. Is that an epidemic? I, I would say that that ability alone would not do it. Um, but I mean, the guy hit uh, 289, right? So he was much more just like the real life Lou Brock was a 300 hitter. Um, and the UL Lou Brock, he had 200 hits like five different times. And he won one gold glove. Uh, so I think, I think, um, I, you know, I don't have the game open right now. I'm looking it up. I, there was one guy. Uh, I'm, maybe it's Chuck Hinton, as I'm thinking of. There was, a, there was, there's some certain players who are like maybe second or third on the stolen base list that you would think, oh wow, this guy's in the top three in a pretty important stat. But then you look at him, and he's kind of a one-trick pony. So I think yeah, um, it's Hinton, Hinton, and Pinson is the next two. Yeah. So. And they have uh, like half. They have half of Lou Brock's total, basically. Right. Right. Yeah. But if so, he does so, that trick, so, so anyone to, has by a lot i mean that be like with brock i mean he's he's the best at it like like lance said by a ton so it's like shouldn't that be something yeah yeah and you know that'll be interesting to see uh how he does on the ballot this year like i said last year was a, his first year he got 58 percent, which was he, he was eighth out of nine so um but again it was close it was kind of a cluster there of uh, it's a really interesting ballot because, um, you know, last year we had Frank Robinson and Dick Hauser got in on the first vote, which meant the other seven guys, uh, well, I guess it was Lou Brock's, it was Lou Brock's uh, first as well. Um, but you've got these other guys that have been on the ballot, some of these guys have been on the ballot for five or six times, and they always, they're always like not quite there, then... They're not, they're not getting to 75 to get inducted, but they're not getting below 50 to get knocked off the ballot, right? They're just kind of hanging around that 55 to 65 um, zone. And that's, I think those are the really interesting cases, right? Because those are like, okay, what is keeping this guy uh, out of the hall and what is keeping him uh, still on the ballot, right? Um, uh, and that's a good, 
maybe segue to our next uh, segment here, where we're going to talk about some of the current candidates and maybe apply some of the discussion we just had about benchmarks or yardsticks or how you assess players. Um, and each one of us is going to take a particular player and uh, let's open up. Who would like to go first? I'll start. I got um, uh, Eddie Matthews. Yeah, why, you know what? Why don't you go first? That actually is, I'm, I'm looking at the past ballots. Eddie Matthews was the runner-up in 76. Ramos got in. He had the most votes in 77, but but fell short at 70%. And then he got 68% last year. So Eddie Matthews has been the runner-up the last three. When I say runner-up, he's got the most, the highest percentage of votes without getting inducted. So yeah, Charlie, why don't you go ahead and start with Eddie Matthews. Yeah, uh, I think I think the the best the, the the thing I liked the most about Matthews was just his consistency, his durability. I mean, he never really faltered. You know, he he probably averaged like 140 games a year. You know, so he never had any large stints on the injured reserve. So. But, you know, 20, 25 home runs a year average, I'd say. You know, the guy was just the model of consistency. And he was on some pretty good teams uh, for Cleveland. Never quite got all the way. But he was on good teams. And I think, um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know what to say. He he had a lot of power. He... Uh, his glove, not so much. I think he had one gold glove. Somehow he pulled that out. But overall, I don't, I don't think he was a total liability. But yeah, I think as far as third baseman goes, uh, I think he could. He was probably runner-up on those all-decade teams. Um, so I don't know. I think uh, I think he should be there because what we don't have any third baseman, do we? No, we do not, and that's uh, a very good point. And that's. Uh... Actually, that takes us back a little bit to our prior discussion of like um, of things. Do you look at like uh, you know? Do you look at who's already? It sounds like most of us are not really like looking at at who's in the hall or what what uh, positions are underrepresented or whatnot. But may, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's something we should be looking at because we have there are no first basemen. In the Hall of Fame, although I suspect that's going to change in the next couple of days here with Cepeda, uh, and we have no uh, no third baseman. So, well, that's the thing. He well, comes up against yeah. these guys who are slammed up, right? Who are just like, okay, these guys got to be in. So he just kind of gets pushed down, pushed down, even though he probably deserves to be there. Yeah, I was going to say like he's twelfth, I believe. Like it's twelfth in WAR, twelfth in runs created. Like he's in the top ten in homers, right? I mean, so he is like he stacks up on the power stats, you know, with you know with the most mashing guys in league history. So it's hard to understand why he's not already in. Or as you said, he's basically yeah. been the bridesmaid every time, right? So maybe this is the year he clears the hurdle. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, if if there's anything holding him back, well, first of all, he's played for. Uh, mostly losing teams, right? No offense, Charlie, but he's played for uh, Charlie's teams. Um, no. And then, you know, he had... 
he, he did have one World Series in '67. But you know, if you look at his, if you look at his stats, like okay, so he had 1,000, he had 1,900 hits, which is like okay, that's you know, that's not so good. And then he only hit 253, which is probably one of the lower uh, batting averages of of anyone on on the ballot. So I could see how those those two factors might bring him down. And again, he does not stack up when you put him up against, um, uh, you know, a, a Mickey Mantle or a, or a uh, you know Frank Robinson, Dick Hauser, those guys. Um, but if you look at it in terms of it, it, I, I don't know how it works, but it seems like it's got to be harder to be consistently good on a bad team, right? If you're if you're between Tory and Craig Robinson, you're you're gonna be good no matter who you are, in my opinion. So it's like, you know, I, I don't know if there's something to that, like to that argument. You know, like championships are great, but how hard is it to be consistent on a bad team? Right, right. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think there's a very strong case to, that um, Eddie Matthews is the best third baseman in UL history. Um, and so, and then I guess voters can do it with that, what they, what they, what they want. Yeah, because um, if he's not, who is? Just a small point also for people who are maybe looking at um, uh, GMs who would be looking at sort of uh, our, uh, what we do have is uh, to provide us with information about uh, making decisions about voting. Uh, like the Stats Plus has, uh, I think Glenn mentioned, has him ranked 12th all-time in career war at 68.8. But if you look at his candidate page, it's actually says 72.4. So I don't, yeah. so yeah. I, don't, I don't know where the the difference comes there exactly. But just just bear that in mind. So his 72.4 would actually sort of probably move him closer to being in the top 10 than where he sits at 12 right now. So. Just like for the people we might happen to pitch at you on this podcast, just bear that in mind that if you're gonna if you're gonna go down that road, if you're gonna be someone who likes to look at the war or runs created or jaws or whatever your thing is, you know, just know that there are multiple places to look for that and when you're making your decision on voting for these guys. That's a very good point. And even in real life, there's different wars, like there's a fan graphs war and a baseball reference war and there's and they use slightly different formulas. So Yeah. that uh, that's um yeah, so it's good to look at the the wide range of things. Um, okay, so that yeah, that was a good discussion of Eddie Matthews. Um, I, I like the quote, and I think and Charlie did the bio on the quote at the very top. Ty Cobb said, "I've only known three or four perfect swings in my time. This lad has one of them." And Ty Cobb was a very fine gentleman. So you have to believe it. <laughs> Absolutely. Amazing. <laughs> He's all right. He was not <laughs> drunk at all when he said that. Exactly. Fucking beer goggles, dude. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Who wants to go next? Uh, that was our discussion of third baseman Eddie Matthews. Uh, I'll take. A, I'll go and take a crack at it since we were talking about um, corner position players and the fact that we don't have any represented right now, which I was not aware of. Um, Although, again, as we mentioned, that's probably going to change with Lander Cepeda. And I'm going to mention another guy who played first base and also a corner outfield as well. And that is Joe Adcock, who has been on the ballot for quite some time now. I think since 73, maybe, somewhere in that area. 72, somewhere in that area. And uh, I'm... 1973, this will be his seventh ballot. And he's ranged from... 
a low of 42% to a high. Uh, he got 64% last time, which was his highest. Yeah, so I'm obviously a little bit partial to Joe. Um, he played for the Colts for a really long time. And um, my sort of push for uh, Joe, I mean, beyond his um, just incredible longevity, I mean, he played for 20 seasons. Uh, he was a, actually a part of that initial draft, our first draft in 1951. Um, yeah, yeah. He came in in 1951. He was an 11th round pick in that draft. Um, played for some very good Washington Monuments teams uh, early part of his career, but really had uh, his major contributions um, when, he, when he came to Chicago and when he was well into his 30s. I mean, a very, you know, for, for even real-life baseball and UL baseball to be contributing generally as, as much as he did Late into his career, I mean, he what he got is he was the MVP of the 1965 World Series, and he was 36 at the time. You know, arguably his best season may have been yep. 1967, which he didn't play a yep. full season because he was out for six weeks with two different injuries. Um, um, he, you know, he only got to play 119 games that season and had a 992 OPS that year. And, and a career high, 114. Like a dude missed uh, 35 games and had his career high of 114 RBI. Yeah, so I mean, you imagine what he what he would have done that season if he'd been able to play the full season. And you know, I mean, if you look at his his career stats, he got used kind of sparingly in the first four and five years of his career in Washington. I mean, he's the first four seasons that he played in Washington, he played 110 games maximum at this age 23. So you know, if he'd been been playing the full time, you know, full full, uh, full seasons. Who knows what he would have done that uh, contributed then? But you know, beyond all of that, um, beyond just the longevity and what he contributed uh, during that long haul and contributed late, late into his his career. Um, you know, if you want to look at benchmarks of of you know what uh, contributing to your team and your team winning, like. As a batter, and then I'll ask this question, but as a batter, like, what's the most important thing you can do as a batter? I, I, would, I would argue it's driving runs. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's the most important thing you can do as, as, as a batter is it, you either get on base and score runs yeah. or you drive in runs. Joe Adcock in History of UL sits eighth all time in RBIs. He sits above Ernie Banks in RBIs. He hits above Ernie... Uh, Granny Hamner in RBIs. I mean, he sits above a number of guys who are in, in our UL Hall of Fame and runs batted in. I mean, there, there's one thing when it came to, you know, contributing to your team and helping your team win, Joe Adcock did it consistently over and over again as a guy who could be counted on to drive in runs. And, you know, he may not have had like sparkling huge ones. He didn't actually have any runs like Ernie Banks did. But, I mean, in crunch time, I think, you know, you could count on 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 Joe Adcock. And he certainly proved that in the seven years that he was in the postseason, um, where he has a, a career 889 OPS in the World Series. I mean, looking at 20 seasons in the league and sitting eighth all time in runs batted in. And also, I think, somewhere in close to the top 10, if not in the top 10 in, in war as well, if that's your thing. I don't know, you know, I just feel like this guy needs just a little bit of love. And he's, he, he definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame in my eyes for all the years that he played for the Colts. But I think a little a little bit of love and a little bit of, of deeper dive, I think he, he gets into the Hall of Fame. 
He also won uh, something that doesn't show up on his awards and accolades. He won four championships with the Washington Monument. So you mentioned that he was kind of a, I think he was a platoon guy, maybe with Ted Klazuski or someone like that in the early years of the, remember he started, like you said, he was in the inaugural draft in 51, he was 22 years old. So um, he really didn't play full time until say 1956, but he was on four championship teams the Washington Monuments in the pre-World Series era. So that doesn't even show up. So he played in seven World Series, but he also won four championships with Washington. Right, right. And then he in 50, you know, say 56 when he came in and when he started playing full time. And like he, I think he was at that point was got shifted to the outfield and was, was a left fielder at that point. Um, so, you know. Right, right. But yeah, I yeah, mean. But if you're, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Glenn. Well, I was just going to say, like, so, because, like, again, I'm big on, like, his career, so career value, right? I mean, his, his career contribution is massive. So, like you said, he's 10th. I counted 10th in runs created, 10th in hits, you know, he's top 20. He's, like, 15th in war. I mean, so, you know, and then a ton of other stats, you know, he's, like, 15th-ish. He's somewhere between 15 and 20 for homers, runs, runs batted in, he's top 10. So, I mean, the guy's like career value is huge. And then to you again, to your thing about what's the whole point of the friggin' thing, just to win games. He played for the first dynasty, arguably the best dynasty. I mean, Washington's record, those early years, they would win like, you know, more than 60% of their games. It's just disgusting, right? So he played for the first dynasty and then he played for the, you know, the Chicago dynasty, right? So, I mean, all the guy did is win and contribute the whole time. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sold on the guy. I think he's amazing. So I'm going to jump in, not, not to play devil's advocate, but part of this exercise is like to try to figure out like how, why these guys aren't, why they haven't been elected yet, right? So if I'm looking at Adcock, so he's only, again, my thing, I already tipped my hand. I look at the all-UL team, right? So Adcock was only on the all-UL team three times in 64, 65, and 67. And as, as you know, as Lance said, those are impressive. He was like in his late 30s, a lot of those years but if you look at like okay why why was he only um if he was this stud and again part of this is the longevity right he played 20 years so the yeah, fact that he, yeah. that he accrued almost 2500 hits over 20 years he I mean he only hit he only had 200 hits twice because he had such a long career so maybe that explains why he only has three all ul teams but the other thing is if you look at the years around him like who was winning the, who was on the all ul team in those years around him and so here's the list hank aaron frank robinson hank aaron hank aaron hank aaron frank robinson joe adcock joe adcock who <laughs> brock roger maris frank robinson frank robinson frank robinson frank robinson right so i mean there's there's your answer i mean if people are looking at and, and maybe this goes back to the earlier point it's like he was never he was probably never the um uh he was never the best left fielder for an extended period of time but so what right maybe that doesn't maybe that doesn't prove he's probably the second or third best and maybe that's good enough um and again if he's banging in 100 runs uh if and and well actually he only drove in 100 runs three times but, yeah um, but but uh you know driving in let's say that back of that up let's say he's driving in an average of 80 runs a year and scoring 70 runs a year and he does that for 20 seasons uh you know maybe maybe that's enough but uh but again you can see when you put him up against a frank robinson or and he's been on the ballot with these guys and um and that's that's probably uh 
you know, held like last year, Frank Robinson, 97%. Joe Adcock got, got 64. Um, and, um, and, and, and then of course, Hank Aaron back in 74, that was, um, I think that was Adcock's second ballot. Aaron got in the first ballot, 93%. Adcock got 51, right? So um, barely stayed on, barely stayed on the ballot, actually. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting because he's definitely got the the aggregate numbers and he has that longevity. Where he's lacking maybe is in that the the the, the peak, you know, the 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 peak season argument. Um, other than that monster like uh, 1967 season, right. All right, um, Glenn, should I go next, or do you want to do you want to jump in? Uh, maybe Mantia, just because maybe I'll go because it's similar to the conversation we just had about Adcock, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like so his peak value was never huge, right? So his peak yeah. value wasn't huge. It's more like he was consistently either the best or second best guy at his position for an extended period of time and guess who the other guy was that he's battling with right the whole time was eddie matthews right right so, right I mean, we're like, talking about you know, uh, trading off all uls yeah go ahead. just for the listeners we're talking about felix mantia right now oh thank you for I didn't, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i didn't do my proper introduction so yeah. yeah so felix played so most of his games were at third base but um i had him on my team i, I know i played him at second base or shortstop for a time so so, so the point is, he's like a light hitting infielder guy, but I think you know primarily he played third base, and that's where he's um, his all ULs are at third base, and he was the all decade. So back to this question about you're the best guy at your position for an extended period. He's the best guy in the league at his position for ten years, um, from the '61 to '70 um, period. But again, the thing about, about this guy, like we just talked about, Adcock is how do you assess value? His career value is good, right? His career value is on all the um, you know, a lot of the stats, runs created, all, you know, runs, runs batted and, and all these kind of things. You know, he's in the like 15 to 20 zone or 12 to 15 zone. But, but it's like, again, back to this thing about, is it just about winning? And if it's about winning, all the guy did was win. And it's not like, so we just talked about how Adcock played for, he played for two teams his entire career, right? Played for Washington, Dynasty, Chicago, Dynasty. The thing about Mantia is, and I don't know how this happened, but he was traded so many times. But every team he was traded to, that that team like went to the postseason. Yeah. Or that team won the World Series. So, and won World Series. So his career is for 50. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, 17 years, it was his career, right? 17 years long. He, he made it to uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So nine World Series. So more than half the time he's in the World Series. And then they won it seven of nine times so and so but again if you just stack him up like side by side with eddie matthews you're like well his war is not as good you know he has 310 homers instead of 410 homers right so so you almost want to say well put in eddie and not this guy but but again i feel like you have to give him credit for for sort of this like longevity and you have to give him credit for best guy at his position for the decade and you have right. to give him credit for winning well an another thing is like um it's not even a, a fair direct comparison because Mantia, like if you look at his candidate page, it says Felix Mantia, second baseman, third baseman, shortstop. Yes, so yeah, I think, yes exactly. So I think he mostly played. Um, I, I think you said he won all three of his all UL teams at third base, but I, I want to say he played 
he must have played the majority of his season at second at second. He played a hell of a lot of second base. Yes. Um, so the fact that he played all three of those positions, um, you know, for multiple years, um, yep. to me that yep. gives him more, even more credit than um, than if you just called him a full time third baseman, right? Because by all accounts, second base and shortstop are more difficult uh, defensive positions. So the fact that he was uh, even slotted into those positions um, makes him even more impressive. And then the other thing that I would throw in is like not only was he on nine World Series teams um, on four different four different teams, seven World Series rings, but he was a major contributor in those World Series. He hit 500 um, in two World Series in a row. Uh, now, granted, one of them he was one for two. Okay, we'll we'll throw that one out. But he was uh, he was six for 12, 62 Brooklyn. His career World Series batting average is 305. His career World Series OPS is 878, so right close to 900 OPS in the World Series in 36 World Series games, close to 900 OPS as an infielder. So um, yeah, for, for for me that was again for me the most compelling thing for me was was when we and actually we have we only added I only added the World Series stats to these candidate pages I think a couple of seasons ago, uh, but once I saw Mantia, I was like, dude, this is this guy's the poster child of like, what's what's the phrase like, just win, baby, right? Who said yeah. that? Al Davis, yeah. right? One, two, three, four, five, six, World Series with um, four different teams. That's 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 pretty damn damn impressive. And you know, and he wasn't a slouch either. And on the other numbers, he got two thousand hits, uh, two thousand one hundred, um, over eleven 1, hundred RBIs, over eleven 1, hundred runs. So, um, yeah, I mean, this guy's it. I, I, again, if there's anything maybe holding him back, uh, I don't know, 270 average maybe. I'd, it's hard to see with 310 home runs, not a huge number. But again, for a, for an infielder, that's that's pretty high. Um, any other he thoughts? He was so though? good. Why, why did he keep getting traded if he was so good? Because <laughs> people, go. people, people wanted him so badly. They wanted him to have him. <laughs> exactly, dude. He was in so much demand. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if there's any any – any possibility that that he and Matthews being on the ballot at the same time at that third base position, if there if there's a little bit of splitting the vote here, if some people are, you know, sort of well, if I'm going to give a, if I'm going to give this many votes to Eddie Matthews at third base, I'm not going to give quite as many to Mantia. Like if there's if there's any of that's happening with guys who are voting yeah. for these guys, if if that's sort of if they're yeah. if in some way they're essentially like you know presidential candidates that are holding each other back in some way, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I, do, I do that a little bit where, I, you know, you, you just see the guys who were just so far and away uh, had awesome careers. And then you just kind of let these guys slide under the cracks. Mm, slide under the cracks. Slide under the cracks. Slide under the cracks. I haven't done that since the 80s. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By the way, that's got to hurt your candidacy, too, right? Doesn't that hurt your candidacy if, if you if you play for Four different. Let's put aside the that he wins the World Series all the time, but when you look at his uh, stat line and it's like there's all these different teams, and then you compare him to say um, like Frank Robinson who played pretty much for one team, right? Um, uh, do you guys think that hurts or or does it or does it help? Uh, I would say I would say neither. I mean I don't I generally don't think it I don't think it helps in any way, but I don't also don't think it it hurts in particular. Again, it's it's about the contribution once you're on the team, whatever that team happens to be. So 
yeah, I'm not really looking at the fact that he's been traded a bunch of times. I'm looking at what he's done, you know, once he's on the team and once he's, you know, what's he doing in those uh, pressure situations, which, as you pointed out, he was uh, just a, an absolute beast in, in the postseason. So, you know, that's all that really counts for me. Uh, I, I times he got traded, it, it looks like it was like an end of an era and he got traded for prospects and picks and stuff like, you know, it's like we, we're either trying to get the most value of a rebuilding team, that kind of thing. Yeah, he's hugely in demand, right? I mean, so that's another way to look at it. Is basically, he's hugely in demand. And so, um, so exactly. So it's people who are trying to make a move. Teams are trying to win. So, um, you know what? That's a very good point because I'm looking at um, almost. So he he won three World Series in a row with Brooklyn, 62, 63, 64. And that was the end of their run, yeah. right? So, yeah. Um, He's like, what? What was your, Glenn? What was your quote used to say? Is like, get uh, get out when the party's peeking, right? So <laughs> exactly. It, like, uh, it looks like. Yeah. So he was on uh, Atlanta '71, and then Atlanta yeah. didn't win after that. Chicago '73. Yeah. That was Chicago's last. So he's basically like, yeah, he wins a World Series, and then <laughs> and then he gets exactly. traded off. Like, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, the candidate that I was going to look at is the only relief pitcher on the ballot right now and only the second relief pitcher ever because we had um, uh, Point Wilhelm was on the ballot for a while uh, in the early years. So Ray Narleski, this is a so we're shifting gears here because the three guys we've talked about, uh, if they all have similarities, it's all that they're kind of um, in, infielders who you know may be underrepresented positions or whatnot. Um, Narleski kind of fits that mold because obviously there are no relief pitchers um, in the UL Hall of Fame. Um, but I think there's a case for him. He's very similar, I think, to Eddie Matthews in the sense that, um, and I don't know if you even call relief pitcher, a, it's not really a position, it's more of a role, right? But um, I think for his role, there's a strong case to be made that he is the um, the best relief pitcher in UL history. And as the bio says, it's a he's a rare combination of consistency, longevity, and brilliance. Um, he never he only had three 30 save seasons, but he ended up as the career all-time leader with 371 saves. Um, and I think another thing that really kind of put the cherry on top of his career was. Um, his performance when he was 41 and 42 years old, he had th in 1970 world series, he had three saves uh, with a perfect zero ERA um, in, in, uh, in Washington's um, world series win. Um, and wasn't he the, I want to say he was the, uh, wasn't he the playoff MVP that year? Yeah. He was the world series MVP. Yeah. World Series and Ray Narna, there he is, 1970. He was the first relief yeah. pitcher. Uh, Harry Parker was the did the did that feat uh, three years later. But so um, you know that that tells you in you know almost more than 20 years of the World Series, only two relief pitchers um, have have won that award. So and I think if I recall that season, he also had a string of saves um, down. That yeah, here we go. He saved. So that was the year that Washington barely squeaked into the playoffs. They had six elimination games. They won all six of those, and he had four saves in those, including a one-game tiebreaker. And then he went on uh, and, and got saves in games 
six and seven in the World Series. They were down three to one in that World Series. So, um, and those were all on the road. Uh, so that's, you know, that's just his playoff performance. And then you look at the, you know, the 371 saves. Now I know that, that you know, in the current era with saver metrics and everything like um, saves as a statistic have almost no, you know, they, they're much, much devalued in the current game. And uh, with, with advanced statistics, people are looking more at things like leverage and win probability added and things like that. But I think if you're looking at the era that we're simulating here, 1954 to 1971 was, was his career, uh, you know, saves really mattered. He has a 3.03 career ERA. That's pretty good. He had a three-run uh, stretch of an ERA of what, this 123, 155, 164 when he was with LA. Um, so I don't know. I just feel like there's a pretty strong case if you're, again, if you're looking at um, kind of like a broad representation of the best players across roles and positions, and you're looking at like, you know, what who's underrepresented. And if you mentioned third base, first base, and if you put relief pitchers on that list, um, I think Narleski's Narleski's the man. I don't think there's really much of an argument. Wilhelm was good for his era, but I think Narleski's um, achievements um, surpass even uh, Hoyt Wilhelm. I will say that if you look at him, if you click on the Stats Plus right now at the age of 51, um, he's still uh, his ratings are still 6888. So I think Ray should be coming out of retirement and and asking <laughs> for a bunch of money because apparently this guy can still pitch like crazy. I, I think. I think it might be because he was cryogenically frozen. Ah, he was Ted before Ted was Ted. Yeah, exactly. At the end of his career, he's 40, 42 years old. He was, he had a solid year, you know, and and then he just walked away. So, uh, you know, who knows? Yeah. I mean, he's all, he's all decade, right? I mean, did you mention that? Maybe you probably mentioned that. I mean, he was the best closer for the decade, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of the 60s. So, I mean, he's the best guy, right? I mean, again, I'm partial to Hoyt Wilhelm, but as you said, I mean, this guy had like 50 more saves than Hoyt Wilhelm, right? So that counts for something, right? Like, let's see, let's see, how many more saves did he have? He had 80, 80 more saves than Hoyt Wilhelm, 70 more saves. So, I mean, come on, this guy's badass, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, I think this is, I think as far as making it into the, to, not only the the actual MLB Hall of Fame, but the UL Hall of Fame, this, this is definitely... The toughest position to be in this sort of a closer reliever position it's just you know you you value them so highly and so much in the moment when they're playing you're expecting them to save your games and and help you get wins but when it comes to actually trying to vote them into the hall of fame that i think that values t- tends to plummet and when you compare to position players it's it's tough it's a tough spot to be in it's hard to to make it into the to the hall of fame and, and as a closer or a reliever so yeah, I mean, I think uh, a, uh, Sean had some thoughts on this about how relievers are kind of screwed in the Hall of Fame. Like, if you look at his uh, war, like he doesn't even rank in the top hundred. His war career war is thirteen point zero, right? Yeah. So that either tells you, um, I don't know, maybe that's a modern interpretation, or that's like I think obviously saves are not even. Uh, yeah. calculated as a statistic and more, right? That's probably it, right? So you're basically kind of like just looking at his ERA across innings or whatever. Um, it's a valued role, and I think it deserves uh, some recognition 
in the hall and, and particularly now it, here's the thing i wouldn't make this argument if it was just like oh we don't there's no relievers in the hall of fame so let's give it to like uh you know the 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 best of like three very close guys right i think in the in this case it's um this guy's kind of head and shoulders above above the pack so um i think he's got a pretty strong candidacy but we'll see again this comes it's almost an a theological or ideological debate right of like the value of relief pitchers and are they um should they be in the in the hall of fame or not so there there's um a couple of candidates on the ballot that we have not talked about um the newcomers cepeda we're not even going to talk about him because he looks like a slam dunk um we have not talked about dick mcauliffe who I think, I don't know if Glenn, if you have some thoughts on him, he kind of falls into that um, Mantia, uh, Eddie Matthews mold, maybe. Yeah. Some words on Dick McAuliffe. Yeah, I do. I mean, but the thing is he, so right. Um, Matthews and Mantia, we've both identified, obviously Matthews is a third baseman and Mantia we're calling predominantly a third baseman, but McAuliffe really is a shortstop yep. or second baseman. So, he, he spent some time um, at both positions, but extended period of time at both positions. So the thing is, I mean, he, he really strongly makes the case for being the second best guy at those positions his entire career. Because basically he comes up and he plays next to Granny Hammer, right? So it's like, you know, your infield is Granny Hammer at short and then this guy at second. And then eventually they switch because Granny gets older and loses some range, right? Yeah. So, so, but he's also playing at the same time as Hauser's playing, right? So it's like, he's never, he's never gonna be the best shortstop or second baseman. But he's, again, I would say he's consistently the second best guy. Yeah. Um, and you can see, you know, he's all UL, he's got a fair number of all ULs, even though, as I say, he was never necessarily the best guy, or at least for six seasons, he was the best guy. I mean, yeah, he's, got five, he's got five all ULs. Sorry, I said six. Yeah. And um, his career totals are, are solid. And his rate, again, so if you look at his rate, so the guy's 820 OPS, that is really good. We just talked about Mantilla and how good he was. He's yeah. 796 OPS, right? So Right, so, and he's and he's yeah. most and predominantly um, he did play second, but he's predominantly a shortstop. All five of his all ULs uh, are at shortstop, and so Ernie Banks has eight, and then there's McAuliffe with five, and no one else has more than three. So, dude, um, that's good company, so, bro. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so if if and if you want to throw it again, you know, again, again, second baseman and shortstops. If you look at, I think Hauser played both positions, um, yeah. and. Uh, and uh, Hamner played, played Hamner so, played both yeah. positions. So I mean, maybe the better way to look at uh, at, at shortstops and and second baseman is just as middle infielders as a, as a broad category. Yeah. Um, but if you do that, then Ernie Banks has eight all ULs, and then Dick McAuliffe's at five, and Craig Robinson's at five. So you're talking about Banks, C. Rob, and Dick McAuliffe. <laughs> shit dude that that is rare company bro yeah yeah, yeah. And, and dude i mean and again yeah it's like if you look at where he went the teams won when he went there he had some good his peak value was actually pretty good right he had we have war seasons of 7.7 7.3 8.1 another 7.3 6 i mean this guy's so yeah so I, again i looked at 
I looked at this guy. At first, I was like, ah, you know, Dick McAuliffe, he's never the best guy. But the more I looked at it, the more I was like, God damn, he is really good. He just kind of played in the shadow of giants, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so one other guy I think we should discuss, because we've talked about Lou Brock a bit. Um, I think another player we should look at, we have not talked much about starting pitching, but Bob Friend is uh, the only starting pitcher on the ballot now. Um, is another guy who's had an interesting career because he's got, uh, I think, if I'm not wrong, he has the most wins and the highest war uh, of any uh, eligible pitcher, uh, uh, you know, a retired retired pitcher. But I think the thing that held him back is the 402 career ERA, right? So um, to me, that's the one thing. I mean, the guy has close to 4,000 strikeouts, though, 271 wins, uh, very long career, 23 years. Um, but again, he was never super dominant, like uh, he's got one all UL team, two, two strikeout championships, and he won a World Series in 73. So um, is that just a case of like a really good pitcher that pitched for a really long time? Um, and again, how does that uh, what, what are our thoughts collectively on Bob Friend? Is he going to uh, is he is he hall worthy or no? I mean, it's a tough one. I think I don't remember. Actually, it'd be funny to see what I put. I don't remember if I because he he's he's the all-time loss leader. It's 225 losses to right, go over right. his 270 yeah. wins. So, no, whatever. You pitch a long time, you're going to lose some games, right? But yeah. But but the all-time loss leader. Okay. Um. He's he's third all-time in walks, but second in strikeouts. Right. Most home runs allowed. Bob Friend. Right. Most hits allowed. He's fourth. So, I think he, again, if you're trying to find reasons not to vote for him, you can. Yeah. 540, 546 win percentage. Uh, that's, you know, you're looking at Conley at 7, 739, Burdett yeah. 648, and Tonelli 646. So that definitely hurts him. Billy Pierce 634. And he, the, I would say the closest comp to friend was probably Pedro Ramos, right? Uh, another guy who had a very long career, kind of racked up wins, also had a bunch of losses. His winning percentage was 586. So that's, um, again, that's uh, 40 points. 40 points higher than than friend so i don't know we talked a little bit i i think lance mentioned this as like i think lance you said you don't con you're not consciously thinking about um weighing guys against who's already in the hall right but right. there is always a little there is always a little element of that right especially it's hard not to do that when you look at like career leaderboards especially when you're in otp and there's a asterisk next to all the players who are in the hall of fame right so if you click on wins and it says, okay, star, 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 and then Bob Friend, right? So it's hard. And then the guy below him, Whitey Ford, has a star. And then there's Durker and Peterson, who are who are active but almost guaranteed Hall of Famers. Yeah. So um, it's it's hard not to make those comparisons. But then again, like you can't. I don't think it's fair to just have an artificial line and say, okay, you have more wins than Whitey Ford, so you're in, because like you said, he also has like 100 more losses than Whitey Ford. Yeah, I think with a lot of was starting, you know. And I think you would go back to our early discussion of like, uh, you know, are the, the sort of benchmarks, the metrics for given positions, you know, sort of different and weighted differently. And I think, you know, sort of voting for Bob Friend, it's, 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 you're sort of like, what your, what is your expectation out of like your star, you know, top line starting pitcher? And then you look at Bob Friend compared to that and you go like, yeah, you know, Bob Friend was probably like, a really solid number two 
And then probably later in his career, maybe like a number three starter. And he was that for a really long time. But does that make him, when you sort of hold it up to the sort of broad scope measure of like what your expectation is from a a star starting pitcher, you know, does he really check enough of the boxes? And I think, I feel like in Bob's case, he just ends up falling short in a number of, of places. I mean, you talked to, you mentioned sort of, Pedro Ramos being a comp. I mean, I feel like, you know, if you look at it, you know, uh, Bob's war is like 40 points lower than Pedro Ramos's. So, and they had about as equally uh, long career. So, I mean, that alone sort of makes you kind of like take pause in wanting to sort of vote for him too highly into making it into the Hall of Fame, I think. Yeah, I just, I just don't see him as the guy where, you know, it's like you've got one game, you've got one game to play. Are you going to throw Bob Friend out there? You know, it's like his name probably would not even come up in the discussion most years. So uh, he was, you know, he played a long time. He had great longevity, but yeah, I just don't see him getting in. He is second in strikeouts, third in walks, and first in home runs allowed. So, yeah. like, so Fip loves him, but then Fip hates him, you know? So it's kind of like, I don't know where he ends up, you know? So. So, I mean, I mean, strikeout. This gets a little bit to Lance's point about stolen bases, right? Kind of like the one-trick pony thing is like, is is being the single best or like one of the among the very, very top at a single stat uh, enough to get you in the hall? And I think in the argument, and Barack was like, he was much more. He wasn't just a one-trick pony. He was, he he had a Gold Glove. He hit close to 300. I think with Friend, he is close to a. He's kind of close to a one-trick pony. Three thousand. 3,900 Ks, that's really, that's yeah. a hell of a lot of Ks. He's only behind Antonelli. So that's something there, right? Um, but again, yeah. like the, if you look at the whole package, it's like you could see why he's consistently polling around 50%. He's another one of these guys. So it's like, eh, it's not, he's not horrible. Like he should be considered, but I don't know, maybe. And you look at his votes, 54, 53, 61, 65, 63. So he's gotten better the last couple of seasons. But um, again, and, and, and again, this ballot, maybe he'll be he'll benefit from being the only starting pitcher on the ballot. Maybe he'll get a few more votes to, to the point of like splitting the splitting the vote thing. If he's the only starter, then people are going to maybe say, oh, you know, let's give this guy. Maybe I'll give him seven this time instead of five or whatever. But um, yeah. let's vote. I'm letting them all in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's interesting. I mean, that's interesting too when you look at because obviously I'm the only one who sees everyone's ballots, but there's obviously different levels of. One thing I do is I average the, the votes for each uh, voter, right? Like what their average score, and it ranges from like, eight point two to like five point whatever or four point. There's you know some people just have, uh, you know, much higher standards, and they and they you know they're they're a lot more selective. And then some voters are more like, yeah, these guys are all good. Let's, you know, it's all eights, nines and tens or whatever. So that's what makes it interesting, too, because I feel like even though there's only 14 of us voting, um, the the way the voting is structured, it it, it kind of feels like there's, you know, hundreds of voters, you know, because uh, it and, and, and the voting results are fairly realistic in terms of what happens historically. Well, I mean, it also be this will be interesting to see what happens with these guys who have been 
on the ballot for a while that the four of us are very familiar with because we've played in this league since the very beginning. We've got a lot of, we've got, you know, several new faces, uh, new GMs in here. So they're, they're probably looking at guys who they've never really had on a team or really seen play in the UL. So they're going to have to be making, uh, you know, making decisions and casting votes based on just pure, uh, statistics and you know um, the write-ups and obviously maybe this conversation a little bit so it'll be interesting to see what some of those uh, what some of the uh, tallies are uh, for these guys that we're talking about you know, based on the, the new the sort of fresh blood we have uh, voting for these guys uh, this time around very good point um, I guess maybe just to wrap up uh, look at um, the Looking ahead in future years, like uh, so on Total UL on the Hall of Fame page, I do have a little box of what I call potential future candidates. These are guys who are almost certainly will end up at least being on the ballot. Um, Bernie Allen is 40 years old. Uh, Joe Torrey, obviously he's going to, he'll be a slam dunk uh, first ballot. Bill Freehand, Dick Allen, Fritz Peterson, Fergie Jenkins, Rico Petroselli, uh, and then you get to younger guys who are um, younger than 35, Bill Singer, Rod Carew, Steve Carlton, Larry Durker, and Bob Moose, who's been in the Moose. news. Quite a bit lately. So, um, uh, so speaking of like, uh, you know, y- younger players or players that are currently in the league. So be l- looking for some of those names appearing on future Hall of Fame ballots. And there may be others as well. That, that list is not set in stone by any by any means. Basically, the process is every year uh, I, I look through all the uh, the names of retired players for the year before and kind of figure out which ones look even kind of remotely hall worthy. And then um, and then we add them. So uh, I actually don't think there'll be any names added in in 1980. We'll, we'll see. That's to be determined. But anyway, in closing thoughts. Good times. This was a fun conversation, and you know, thanks for everybody's contribution. Again, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how the voting comes down, which will, I'm sure will be happening uh, very soon. As always, as we like to say around here, until that happens, and until we do our next podcast, here's to fake baseball. Thanks, gents. Woohoo! Nice. I'm